Well, good morning again, 59th Street family. We welcome those of you who are joining us a little bit later today as we continue our journey through our sermon series, uh, Voices from the Wilderness, where we explore how various Old Testament prophets call out from the wilderness, call all the children of God, including us as well, to continue to grow in holiness. Now, last week we started the series off in the book of Isaiah, but today we're going to take a jump into a kind of a frightening passage from Jeremiah, uh, but I believe that this passage will help us not just to learn a valuable lesson, but also to continue to encourage us in our holiness. And one of the major themes that we're going to be talking about today is applying wisdom as a means to avoid disastrous consequences. That we need not only to have ears that hear, but also a heart that is willing to change. And to illustrate this point, I, I want us to, I want to ask you guys um, to kind of think back or remember a told you so moment in your life. A moment when someone gave you a word of advice or a warning that we just, for some reason or not, that we just didn't listen to. And when all was said and done, we ended up in a situation that we could have entirely avoided in the first place. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I've had my fair share of told you so moments. And while some of them weren't you know, too bad, others really threw my life for a spin or might have permanently changed my life. Now, not too long ago, um, I picked up playing racquetball with a few friends over the winter. And so once a week, every Saturday morning, we would go to the gym and we'd play. Uh, now, for those of you who've never played racquetball before, you're basically in this room where you hit an incredibly bouncy ball with a racket and the balls can easily reach speeds of like 150 miles an hour, like easily, anyone can do it. Even like a child can you know, hit triple digits. Now, common sense would tell you, hey, maybe it'd be a pretty good idea to wear some sort of eye protection when you're playing this game, right? And of course, I didn't. <laughs> so every time we met up my friend, because he's a wonderful friend, he would always ask me, hey, did you get goggles yet? And I responded, no, 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 I'll, I'll be fine, dude. Like, I'll, I'll get them later. And after the end of every game, he would always be like, hey, good game. Um, I think you should probably get some eye protection. <laughs> to which I'll respond, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll just do it later. Which, of course, I had zero intention of doing. Now, you might be wondering, <laughs> why is my pastor so foolish? And that's a very good question, because at the heart of it, I don't know either. I think I'm just stubborn. I think I'm just foolish. Sometimes I just refuse to listen to words of advice. And honestly, I thought those goggles, they just looked super goofy. And I just didn't want to put them on my face, because then I would look very goofy. Very poor reasoning, I know. I thought, in my pride, that I could react fast enough, that I could dodge my head out of the way when a ball is coming at my face at 150 miles an hour. And in one game, my friend, he actually served a very, really fast and really tricky serve. So I went for the backhand, and as I was swinging, rather than hitting the ball with the wires of the racket, I made contact with the frame of the racket instead. And so immediately, the ball ricochets off the frame of the racket and hits me straight to my face, right, literally, like right here on my cheek. 
Now, obviously, this is like an inch or two from my eyeballs, and if it did go any higher, I probably would be in the hospital, or in the worst case, I might be blind in one eye. And I was like healing over, I was like, oh my God, that hurts so much. And my friend rushed over, he asked if I was okay. And I laughed and I told him, yeah, I think I should probably get a pair of goggles. <laughs> and he started to laugh and he was like, dude, that's what I've been telling you this entire time. Now, fortunately, I did not go blind. Um, and fortunately, nothing happened. You know, it was just a little, you know, just a bit of a red mark on my face. And it was a very clear instance of a time where I was unwilling to listen to reason, a time when I failed to display wisdom in my life. And the worst thing about these told you so moments is that if we just listened, if we just listened, if we were just not so stubborn, if we were just weren't so prideful, if we were willing to demonstrate humbleness and wisdom, we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of our own foolish actions. And in our passage, we come across a very similar situation. Uh, the people of God, they are sinning against Yahweh by worshiping other idols. And God, he repeatedly sends the warning and war warning after warning, prophet after prophet of what the consequences are. But despite these warnings, the Israelites were unwilling to listen. And so God sends them one final warning, one final, please, please, please come back to me. And we find this final warning in Jeremiah chapter 18. So let's take a look at our passage today. This is word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. And so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the Lord, word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will, not, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned, right? That was our scripture reading earlier from Jonah. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sights and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it is no use. We will continue with our plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Now, as we take a look at our passage, we're introduced to a command given to Jeremiah by God to go down to the potter's house. And throughout Jeremiah and the Old Testament, God always uses very ordinary examples, very ordinary images in life to make a profound point. And I really want you guys to, just for a moment, to picture this, right? Imagine a skilled potter sitting at their wheel, right? Their hands covered in mud of clay. 
They're completely in the zone. They're completely focused on the task, right? They know this clay. They, they can feel its texture. They can feel how pliable it is. They know exactly how much pressure is necessary or how much pressure to kind of, kind of ease off. The, the potter knows exactly what he wants this specific pot to become, and he actively shapes this lump of clay in order to achieve this purpose. But in verse 4, something unexpected happens for the potter. As the potter was shaping this piece of clay, we learn that it is marred or it is defective in some way. Now, normally, in a situation like this, you would probably just throw it away or toss it. But what we see is that the potter continues to form it, continues to shape it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And this is such a vivid description of the relationship between God and Israel, but also of our relationship with God as well. God is our potter. He knows our compositions. He knows our defects. But at the same time, he also knows our potential as well. He knows what he wants us to become. And what's fascinating in this passage is that the word marred in Hebrew is commonly used throughout the Old Testament to actually speak about sin. It is something that corrupts, something that defiles. You would use that word when the people of God normally failed him ethically or morally, that they are marred, corrupted. And so even when we are marred, corrupted by sin, by the world, or even by our own actions, we see a very wonderful message. We see a message that God continues to work on us, continues to mold us into the image that seems best to him. As the psalmist beautifully says, right? God knit us in our mother's womb, for we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And the question is, where do we find ourselves in this picture? The image that Jeremiah brings up forces us to recognize that we are actually not the potter. We have to recognize that we are the clay. And although God does indeed shape us, and sometimes we as the clay can be resistant to God's change, sometimes we just simply refuse to yield to the potter's hand, whether it be out of stubbornness or pride. More often than not, we have to acknowledge that we try to end up taking the position of God himself. We try to be our own potters. We try to shape ourselves into the image that we think is best. We refuse to yield to God's hands. And unfortunately, sometimes... This forces us or this puts us in the position of a told you so moment, a moment where we have failed, where we suffer the consequences of our own actions, something that could have been avoided completely if we yielded to God's hands. But I want us to take a look at that, actually, as we kind of move forward in our passage. So let's take a look at our next sermon point um, concerning blessings and judgment. In the second half of the passage, we see that the potter and the clay metaphor kind of continues, but also evolves to show God's sovereignty over the nations, over all people. We see that God absolutely has the power to build up nations, but he also has the absolute power to tear down nations as well. Uh, in verse 6, God asks, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Like a clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. The thing is, this not only applies to Israel, 
but it applies to us as well because we are now the people of God. We too are in the hands of God, the divine potter. He is the one who is in control, who is molding and shaping us according to his divine will, right? And for us, I think there's two ways we can take it, right? The first is that this is actually something great. We are in the hands of God. It brings us immense joy, immense peace. What an absolute honor and joy it is to be shaped and held in the hands of our creator. However, what happens when the clay is unfortunately not compliant? What happens when it completely and totally resists the potter's hand? In verses 7 to 10, we see that God extends his metaphor of the potter and clay to a national and very ethical level, as we learn that if a nation listens to God's command and walks in God's way, then they will be built up, they'll be blessed, they'll be planted. This is a nation that completely surrenders itself to God in every way. However, at the same time, God also issues a warning as well, that if a nation disregards God, his commands, and follows their own stubborn hearts, they face the risk of being torn down, uprooted, and in judgment. And although it is uncomfortable, of course, to realize this, we have to understand that God is not to be taken lightly. God is absolutely loving, but God is justice as well. He is the Lord over all creation. He is Lord over our lives and of us, whether we believe in him or not. And so when God issues a warning in verse 11 saying, I'm preparing a disaster for you, devising a plan against you, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and actions, we see that God is not mincing words here. The thing is, God does not want to inflict disaster. God wants people to live in a manner that is reflective of his loving nature. God is willing to forgive, just like we read earlier in the passage from Jonah. But the thing is, when we don't repent, when we continue to resist God, the reality is that we will have to unfortunately face the consequences of our own actions. To sin against God, to sin against people and refusing to repent is like sweeping dust against the wind. Not only does it not get rid of the dust, but we become marred, we become corrupted, we become defiled in the process. Yet, even in the face of such stubbornness, God's grace and mercy still remains. There's always, always an opportunity for us to turn back to God. Forgiveness is always an option that is available to us. And so let's explore that for our final sermon point today, turning to grace. And as we come to this final point, we, we kind of arrive at the heart of this profound metaphor that God has been using. Although we discuss the sobering realities of the consequences when we resist his shaping, it is ultimately the message of grace that truly captures the essence of our relationship with God. You see, throughout the entire Bible, right, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, grace has always been the cornerstone of God's interaction with us as human beings. It is always God's grace that allows the potter's hand to rework this defiled, marred, and corrupted clay into something that is both beautiful and new. 
It is always his grace that gives us the warning of upcoming disasters, much like how my friend gave me the warning that, hey, you should probably put on goggles, or how our parents or our friends might warn us if we see us straying from the right path. It is also God's grace that leaves the door open to repentance, inviting us to walk through it to receive God's loving embrace. And so in our passage from Jeremiah, we see the people of Israel had strayed far from their God. They have been marred. They have been distorted by their disobedience and rebellion. Yet God, in his infinite mercy and his steadfast love, continues to send prophets like Jeremiah to remind them of his grace, to warn them and to encourage them, please come back, come back into a covenant relationship with me. God does not desire, God does not wish, God does not, does not delight in seeing people lost in their wickedness. God does not desire or wish that people must suffer the consequences of their own actions. God does not delight in having to bring justice down to us. God desires a relationship with all of us, to be restored into wholeness with him. But not only that, but as we discussed earlier, the potter does not discard this marred clay either, but rather he continues to shape it continues to reform it. And I believe that God will do the same with all of us gathered here today. That through the blood of Christ, God has left the door open for repentance. Through the blood of Christ, we who were once sinners marred by our own wrongdoings, we are now shaped into a new creation in Christ. We are now recreated and refashioned in God's hands to now be his children and to be his people. And what I think most people get wrong about Christianity is that not only do we receive the forgiveness of sins, but it's also a lot about being transformed, about being transformed and being made new in the image of God. It's not just about avoiding punishment. It's not just about avoiding or escaping consequences, not even about eternal life assurance. Rather, the heart of Christianity is all about falling into the hands of our Savior, to continue to be molded by him, shaped by him, to literally become more like our potter, to embody his love, to embody his justice and his mercy in our everyday lives. And so as we gather here today, I want us to ponder or to think about this question. How will we respond to our potter today? Will we allow ourselves to be molded and shaped into the image that God sees fit? Will we have the courage to let go of our lives and to leave it in God's hands? Are we willing to turn back to God? Or unfortunately, will we resist and continue down a path of our own making? And the crazy thing about Christianity is that God gives us the freedom. God gives us the choice to make the decisions we want. He will not coerce us. He will not force us. But for us gathered here today, will we demonstrate wisdom? Will we demonstrate wisdom in turning back to God and repenting of our wrongdoings? And so as we're about to enter into a period of prayer, I encourage us to think about this. Pray about this. Pray about reorienting our lives back to God and to continue to grow in his holiness. So why don't we come together uh, for a time of prayer?
Heavenly Father, as we gather today, um, we want to confess first that we have fallen short of who we are called to be. Uh, that despite the fact that we are called your children, we sometimes unfortunately still resist you, Lord. We confess our sins and we openly receive your forgiveness. We thank you that your grace is unlimited, that your forgiveness has no end through the blood of Christ. But at the same time, we ask that we will have the humility to be transformed by you, Lord. Father, we are tired of trying to forge our own paths. We are tired of making poor decisions. Allow us, Father, to fall into your hands, to be molded and to be shaped after your son, Jesus Christ. Allow us to embody his values, his actions. Let us truly be that light on the hill to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors, our coworkers as well. We thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you for creating us and shaping us. We submit our lives into your hands. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.